So if I do it this way, it does it just to me. If I do that button, apparently there's that's when you this is the microphone you and me used to take on the world tours that always used to go. Oh yes. But I'm trying this one today, which means I only have to use one microphone for the audience in the room as well as the recorded audience. Ah. Oh, Isn't that nice. lovely? But I had it in figure of eight mode, which meant it was presuming you were sat opposite me like in our old hotel room times. So there oh, you go. I remember when we used to be in the same room together. Mm, wasn't it not? It, it, ha simpler times, happier times, not too sure. But there you go. Um, Different times. Yes. This is the new normal. Not that there is a new normal, JB. No, there's no new normal. It's only no normal. No normal. Um, should, we, should we make a start anyway? We may as well. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. Cool. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I'm, oh, good overnight, sorry. Uh, I'm Anthony Price. And I am Jonathan Bradley, and we are uh, in this podcast by the by the scruff of our necks, yeah. by the skin of our teeth, because we just came off one webinar into this uh, podcast within with seconds to spare. I think it's fair to say. Yeah, absolutely. So, for the recorded listeners, you may be aware that we record this in front of a live studio audience. So, therefore, we can't kind of just start recording whenever we fancy because there is a room full of um of of hungry beautiful people yeah hungry animals looking for our live insights so if you do ever want to join us in the in the live session um you can find us on seedle.com and search podcasts and you'll see global leadership is one of the results when you search for podcasts um but jb is absolutely right we've just left a rather amazing so we, we obviously do me and jb work together with some clients and me and jb also work together with some of the seedle work that you've probably heard about in previous episodes but we've just finished a um, a workshop with a, a private client um, and we've come off all quite inspired, haven't we, Mr. Bradley? Inspired? I, I, I feel like a jelly. I'm completely uh, emotional from what just happened. We, we had a shaggy dog story. We had um, a, a mountain rescue. Uh, we had someone who built a house and um, all the trials and tribulations of such a thing. Someone who went up a mountain um, and challenged themselves, something rotten. I Just um, fabulous. I, it's the art of story. We did a bit of storytelling last time um, in last week's podcast. We won't go back over the same stuff. But isn't it refreshing, And when we get the opportunity to have people just telling some really, really good stories? And it's something I think that we've missed a little bit. Yeah, that was a vibe that we got from that last session. I think you know, wouldn't it be nice if we could all meet up in a pub and have these stories going with a couple of pints? Yeah, maybe it's a bit early in the morning, but <laughs> hey, it's it's always someone's beer o'clock, isn't it? Yeah, to, um, absolutely true. Anyway, before we get into the meat of our episode this week, um, I think it's only right that we once again visit um, the, the 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 cellars, the basements of Ramsgate's biggest kitchen development project known to man. What's the latest status, JB? Well, um, my wife um, has uh, said enough now. Uh, yeah, oh. she has said, um, I, I think you've gone as far as you can, love. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, I pretty much have finished it, except for the decorating. And there's quite a lot of filling. I've got one little cupboard to do. But um, she said, that's enough. Um, because on Sunday, I was uh, writhing about on the kitchen floor. 
<laughs> no, I was. Is this in between um, the kitchen fitting? Or? <laughs> it's after a couple of pints. No, I'd been working flat out uh, trying to get all these levels right. And you know those um, those kick boards that you get underneath that cover the... the so getting That's so my cool. floor in the kitchen is not in exactly level, and so I've been trying to level up a kitchen that just refuses to be level, and so then trying to get the kickboard in, I had to cut it down to get it level, and that was a nightmare. So I was like, up and down, up and down, and I'm not as young as I used to be, and I'm you know, and I my back, I had a a real. A, a really big spasm go off in in my lower back. Riding around wife, on the floor and having a spasm. I mean, your wife and you must have a great well, time in your basement. It, it was at that point she said, okay, look, I, enough. I can't watch this anymore. It's too much. <laughs> it's awful. So anyway, Dominic, uh, who is, uh, who's become a friend of ours, actually, he, he said, look, he'll come around and he'll, he'll do the decorate. He'll finish it off for us. Um, but I, you know, the pride is, you know, I'm slightly reluctant. But I, my, if my wife says you've done enough, that's it. I, 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 I really ought not do any more. So that's the story. Uh, but I tell you what, it looks bloody fantastic. I've got an oak floor. I've got oak worktops. Um, I've put the sink in. I did all the plumbing. I, I didn't want to do the wiring because that scares me because you can die. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, whereas plumbing, you just get wet. Well, I suppose you could die. I, I don't know if there's a fire or something if it goes in the electrical stuff. But anyway, uh, that's that's um, that's my world. Now, what about you, Ant? Because you've got all sorts of things um, happening in your life. Yeah, um, I think when we last spoke, we were due to go off to the beach, um, which was very pleasant. Oh yeah, West Wittering and a little bit of East Wittering. We did, we did both. We did. Um, there's a lovely restaurant in East Wittering called the Boulevard, which we've been going to since I've been with my wife for 13 years, and she's been going since she was 13 years old. So, um, so she doesn't know any different. But it's a lovely. Tell us the story, Ant. Of, of of tell us. So help us understand the scene of you going to East Wittering. Okay, so in in two minutes maximum, um, you'll be aware, JB, that we literally had a meeting, which I literally logged off from, and all the kids were ready and waiting in a running engined car. My wife um, went with my sister-in-law, because there were six of us, so we were in convoy. Um, They decided to go some random route to Wittering. Um, Meanwhile, me and the boy that I had in my car went the fastest route known to man, because we wanted to get down as quickly as possible. Um, fortunately, because everyone has to pre-book because of COVID, um, there was no queues to get in. It's a very, very picture the scene, very, very big car park that's backs onto the beach, which you kind of pay a fiver to park there. So that was nice and quiet. Could park right to the entrance of the beach. Didn't get down there till about half past two. So that was nice. Um, beach was quite busy. So the beach, if you imagine it, is probably 300 foot of white sand before we hit the water. So it's not kind of got a big drop into the ocean. It's got this long... One minute. Okay, thank you. It's got this long, um, <laughs> long meandering walk to the water. So the actual kids can go ankle deep and still walk for another 50 foot before it gets any deeper. So it's nice and safe. Quite busy, but it quieted out quite quickly. We spent a lovely two hours building big sandcastles. Very fine, dry sand. So the kids got quite frustrated that it was difficult to build sandcastles with that. But lots of giggling children, um, lots of food smells coming from the kind of open canteen that's there because they can't have seated restaurants. Um, lots of paddling, lots of sand between your toes. 
Um, lots of, of mats getting emptied and shaken to have the towel, the sand put off of it again. Um, so that was really good fun. Um, the two-year-old particularly enjoyed being buried up to his waist and said that it felt tickly on his feet with all the sand on him. Um, oh. So that was good fun. And then we dug out his feet and tickled him so that he couldn't obviously <laughs> escape due to the sand weight. So we did that. Then we all got in the car. We piled into East Wittering, which is about three miles along the coast. So a really nice short three-mile drive around the coastline to a little village next to it called East Wittering. In there, it's a very gravelly beach, but next to the gravelly beach is this kind of restaurant that just sits about 100 foot back from the beach, but does really good. So those of you in the UK will know a good fish and chip shop, you know, so the smell of of good Mm. chips, vinegar, salt, um, some good fish that's been caught off the coast the same day. Um, Mm. But they also, uh, they have an amazing menu. So they have some really good kind of really good burgers, um, proper, you know, cheese uh, bleeding out the side of the burgers. Um, so I had scampi, fresh scampi. Um, my um, middle boy had chicken nuggets. There were chicken fillets that were proper, you know, battered and, and really nice chicken nuggets. Um, and then the, the wife and sister-in-law had a had a kind of a pie experience. Um, but And so it was really nice food. Sat outside, so we're all kind of in the UK at the minute, very cold. So all wrapped up still, but it was dry. Sun was out. When the sun was on your face, you could kind of feel nice and warm. But the warm food definitely made up for it. Then we had ice cream. All got very cold. Piled back in the cars. Kids fell asleep in the back. Got back, shifted them from the car into their beds. um, Full of sand by the following morning. And that was our our wittering experience. Oh, it sounds wonderful. Sounds like a wonderful, lovely family scene. Seascape, soundscape, the whole escape um <laughs> you're right the though. seaside it, it, because of the lockdown rules it, we realized it was the first time our two-year-old had been to a restaurant since he had turned two he turns we're now in april so he's two yeah. and three quarters year old and actually their behavior is what made the day so enjoyable i don't know about the listeners and you jb having many many children um sometimes you you, you, you know you need to do things with the family, but you dread it because you just need one of those children to be a pain in the backside and it ruins the experience for everybody. But all of them were well behaved. The two-year-old was really even, you know, please and thank you and was talking to the waitress oh, wow. and waiters and things. They all ate their food quietly, weren't being crazy at the dinner table, which I Blimey. could have forgiven them for based on the fact they'd not had much training in the last year about how to have public etiquette, but they all used their manners. And they all got a little bowl of sweets from the um, from the staff at the end because they were so well behaved. So, what about you and Nicola? Were you well behaved as well, or were you just outrageously badly behaved and rude? And I was a picture of niceness. My wife and sister-in-law, Kate and Nicola, um, on the other hand, disaster. I mean, yeah, you know. So yeah, that was that. And then it's been football and DIY ever since. But um, as you know, JB, me and you are burning the midnight oil at the minute. It has to be said. Not off. I used to sail round there, um, round sort of West Wittering you area. Said about that, yeah. Um, Itchener and Bosham and uh, Delkey, and uh, my dad had this thing called a fireball, and a fireball is a very very fast little dinghy, um, and it's got a um, a spinnaker uh, that pops out of a little hole at the front. So if the wind's behind you, the up up pops the spinnaker. It's like a great big balloon. And, and when that's up, you go very, very fast. And my dad had a habit of uh, taking me, um, when I was on the trapeze, uh, hanging out the side of the boat, if you can imagine, 
um, really close up to other boats and um, nearly decapitating me. And on one occasion, he got a little bit too close to a boat and I just felt the touch of the boat on my head and I unbuckled myself um, and swam for the shore. And I said, I'm not doing that ever again with you. Um, so there's a, con- there's a contrast of stories. <laughs> Absolute contrast. But I did, I tell you what, I love sailing around there. It's a beautiful, beautiful part of um, of the country. Um, we are very I lucky, aren't we? Recommend it. No, no, it, 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 a lot of our listeners, of course, are landlocked or certainly, you know, hours and hours and hours from a beach or they, or they go to man-made beaches on lakes. So we're really gift lucky, I guess, that I think most parts of the UK are not more than three hours away from a coast. Um, which yeah. which I go if, if you live on the Isle of Wight then that's a bit different you're only what, five minutes but still um... is it just a British thing that we I mean I, I find that if I I mean I, I live by the sea so I walk out of my house and True. there's the sea yeah um, but I, I find my legs just are sort of magnetically drawn towards the <laughs> sea and and it's like I at some point I used to live in the sea um, and <laughs> occasionally come out like some sort of crazy amphibian. I, wow. I think, I think, I think, I, I think, I, I, I think most Brits actually just have this absolute draw towards the sea. I think we're going way off piste here, but I now need to add in there was a there was a flight me and JB shared once, and it was quite amusing, ladies and gents, that whenever we went on flights, I would tend to do probably a bit of work and then sleep, and then JB would probably watch back to back films. Yeah, he'd drink the red <laughs> wine on the plane, and uh, and anyway, but whenever I turned to see what he was watching, generally I would probably choose the it, typically the moment when there was a naked lady or a man oh, on camera. And there was this one particular time where I was going, I said to JB at the beginning of the flight, what porn are you going to watch on this flight then, JB? And anyway, I leant over and to JB's description of this amphibious person was, what was the oh, film yeah. you're watching? Um, Aqua, Aqua Fish or Aquaman? Yeah, Body, I, I body of something or yeah. other it was called. Anyway, yeah. there was this amphibious half fish, half man having raunchy experiences with <laughs> with a lady that features in the Paddington movie. So I'd only it, ever seen a dress before and all of a sudden she had no clothes on swinging through in something. The, in yeah. a bath, in the, I think. That's, yeah. that's right, yeah. Anyway, so yeah. now whenever JB mentions that he's drawn towards water, I say, I know why you're bloody interested in water, JB. Well, oh my God, the listeners are going to think I'm really a bit pervy. <laughs> I'm not. No. It just happens on our trips abroad. Uh, I don't know why, but every time look and looked at the screen... Uh, it looked like I was looking at naked naked ladies, but yeah. it's not true. It's it, well, it isn't true that I I chose to look at them. They just happened to pop up at the wrong moment. Yeah. Even the cabin crew at one point came and brought him a blanket to put over a screen <laughs> in his head, so they didn't have to disturb the rest of the flight. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to read you a quote, Ant. Okay, we. I guess. Well, by the way, welcome to the leadership podcast. Are we talking about yeah. at some point? We'll we'll bring this back to leadership, but I hope you're a, Do you, you don't mind. This is our debrief of of our lives. I think we're a bit um, we're a bit delirious Giddy. and a bit dizzy, really. Yes. Um, but uh, anyway, here's a quote, um, and you have to guess who said this. Oh no! Okay, it's one of these. Okay, I'm putting you on the spot. Right. Courage is resistance to fear, mastery of fear, not absence of fear. Can I have some options as to who said it? Can you kind of give me some some? You know, okay, is that all right? All right. Yeah, I'll, I'm going to read the quote again. Actually, just so courage is resistance to fear mastery of fear not absence of fear i'm hoping that this is going to take blast us off into a into yet another exciting conversation about courage 
But I'm going to give you multiple choice questions now um, of who this is. Mm. Is it A, Barack Obama, B, John Major, C, Winston Churchill, or D, Mark Twain? As you said those names, I'm like, oh, bloody hell, JB. So my instinct before you gave me multiple choice was to say Barack Obama. Mm-hmm. Um, I John Major is now the curveball that could be it because I thought he's mostly least likely to say it. But ironically, history's been quite kind to John Major. Ironically, if you now look at our prime ministers over the last quarter of a century. In fact, yeah, quarter of a century. Um, then Mark Twain, yeah. Could be something they, he would say. Um, and then Winston Churchill, naturally a man of many quotes, but I don't think that was his. So I'm going to eliminate Winston Churchill. Um, I don't want it to be Mark Twain, but I suspect it might be. Um, John Major, no. So I'm going to stick with my original instinct, which is Obama. <coughs> Bollocks. Mark Twain. I bloody well knew it. Okay, here's another one. Oh, no. Another example to fail. So um, you should never view your challenges as a disadvantage. Instead, it's important for you to understand that your experience facing and overcoming adversity is actually one of your biggest advantages. Say that again, please. You should never view your challenges as a disadvantage. Instead, it's important for you to understand that your experience facing and overcoming adversity is actually one of your biggest advantages. Interesting. Okay. Who said that? Is it the same four options? No. Bollocks. Mark Twain. Um, I'm going to. I'm going to. John go Major. This, no, I'm going to do this slightly differently. Okay. This person is related to one of the previous people from the previous quiz or the previous um, thing. Okay. Um, And the second clue is that she is a she. Michelle Obama. Bang! On the money. To be fair, I was then thinking, right, who's related to John Major? Well, uh, um, uh, Norma, whatever her name is. Um, (laughs) I was trying to be helpful. Yeah. Um, So... Let's go back to Mark Twain, if we may. Okay. Um, so courage is resistance to fear, master of fear, not absence of fear. That, that, that last statement is what resonated with me the most, by the way. Tell us about that. Um, because I think maybe we are misguided if we think courage means we're fearless. And actually, uh, I think yeah. that we, we need to accept and actually see fear as I, I think often is an advantage because it gives us that self-awareness and that barometer of other people in the situation we're in um, but I do think sometimes too much fear is what debilitates us to try things but that 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 that's why it resonated with me well so I I'm glad you took that that way because here's another quote oh, for fuck's sake and it's actually by um, a guy called Ralph Waldo Emerson, who is a uh, SAS lecturer, philosopher. Um, and um, here's his quote. He who is not every day conquering some fear 
has not learned the secret of life. <laughs> Pause. Um, okay, so um, I'm going to I'm going to take this in a direction now and see see where we go with it. So, would you describe yourself as open to experience and? Ask my mistress and she'll tell you always. <laughs> Is my wife listening? Oh, bollocks. <laughs> Sorry, I'm feeling playful today. Um, no, no, I like it. I like, yeah, I like you. Yeah, I like you in your playful mode. And, and actually, you know, that's quite useful in the conversation about how open to experience you are. Um, very much so. And probably sometimes... Um, people think that I'm. What's the? I'm trying to think of the word. Um, when you are, you, you you are you take too many risks. Not risk averse, but it's kind of the opposite of it. So I would say that I I go towards trying stuff to experience stuff. Mm, anyway, have I answered your question correctly? Well, well so I said correctly, have I given you an answer you wanted? Uh, well, I think it goes back to um, the the idea of fear and overcoming fear and you know you can you could be born on a on a farm in africa for example and you just go out and you know catch a snake and and have a chat with a tiger and um <laughs> wow what a know, metaphor yeah and all right um, tiger how you, you doing know, bring back a bring back a warthog um to play with and so you're just kind of um exposed you're open you're open to lots and lots of different experience i don't know why i thought that but um <laughs> people <laughs> i don't know that many people have a farm in africa but um you know sometimes i meet people who've just got this ex sort of um ability just to throw themselves at things physically or mentally uh and it's because they kind of grew up in an environment where that was completely normal um, for them to jump off a cliff into um, an unknown level of water. Um, and and actually, they might say, well, there is potentially a, a, a kind of a rock underneath there that might split my skull open, but I'm prepared to take that risk. And I'm a thrill seeker. And I, I'm thinking, crikey, that is not me. I, and, and so... When here's taking this to another uh, idea, if you and I, hmm. um, uh, if you pop popped us into the First World War in a trench, so I'm creating all sorts of different pictures here. Yeah. But here we are with in a tiger. the trench, yeah, yeah, and a warthog. No, we no, we that was in our childhood, right? Um, okay. Or your childhood. Um, so we're we're in this situation now where we know the whistle is going to blow any moment now um, and we're going to have to go over together um, and probably be shot down within a few seconds. How brave would we be given the fact that you um, brought warthogs home to play during lunch um, and went out and, you know, chopped a snake's head off and rode a tiger um, before you went to bed uh, versus me, who's never experienced anything like that at all and comfortably was put into bed at seven o'clock at night, even though I was 21. That's a difficult one, isn't it? 
um, I would say they have equal levels of courage to do what they're about to do. Um, because you arguably with the tiger and the other experiences, <laughs> as crazy as they were, I would have assumed they were in a controlled environment and you know what to expect. Whereas the unexpected can, you know, oh, you don't know what you're walking into going over the edge. Would be my, my, my thought. Well, so <clears throat> I think that if you are fearless, uh, it might be that you have been brought up and you've you've had the opportunity to go out and experience um, overcoming fear more than I have. You know, you, you you've done a, you've done an awful an awful lot of that. So this is just another thing where you just might think I, I could swerve the bullet um, because I've swerved everything before in my life and it's not that big a deal. Whereas for me, going over uh, is is something really scary um, and I've never experienced anything like that before. So I, I, I'm thinking I'm braver. Right. So it comes down to this thing called self-efficacy. Um, and that is about our confidence, uh, the confidence that we have um, in our own capacity to confront the challenges ahead of us. Um, a belief that we can do it. Self-efficacy, easy for me to say, um, is a thing that it's kind of it's it's enshrined in this idea of nature and nurture so some people are born uh with this built into them um and that gives them a bit of a head start uh other people can develop this self-efficacy uh they can build it through the experience of facing down their fear um which is basically um what michelle obama is saying um that you should never view your challenges as a disadvantage instead it's important for you to understand that your experience facing and overcoming adversity mm. is actually one of your biggest advantages so it's the facing and overcoming adversity that becomes your biggest um advantage so um nature uh, clearly plays a role um in determining courage um and actually there's quite a lot of uh neuroscientific evidence uh that there is a kind of thrill seeking uh gene um and it's called a type t uh personality um so there is a thrill seeking sensation seeking uh thing in some people um and they have different kind of brain structures that they're, 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 they're set up differently um and because of that they require higher levels of stimulant um and they will probably get into more risk orientated behavior that type so uh, people look at these people and think, God, they've got a load of courage. <laughs> yeah. And actually, I'm thinking now, have they? Or are they just slightly bonkers? Hmm. 
it's it's difficult, isn't it? I mean, because people would say sometimes you and me are mad because they would never do the things we do. So, for example, my dad lost sleep for days to do a retirement speech in his last place of work. Um, those of you that follow me on LinkedIn will know that I'm a pretty proud son of my dad um, and the achievements he had in his career. But he's one of the most modest and humble people that I know. He doesn't like public recognition. He doesn't like being centre center stage. In fact, um, just a few days ago, JB, you'll be aware the Duke of Edinburgh's funeral was happened. And the previous yes. day, he and his old business partner were invited on BBC News to talk about their meeting of the Duke of Edinburgh. My dad refused. So the interview was on BBC News with just my dad's business partner. Um, and why? Because he thinks that I am mad to even do a podcast. He thinks I'm mad to stand up and present to people all day, every day. His idea of absolute chaos and misery would be what we do. So for him to do his speech at retirement, he lost sleep over because he'd been given, apparently he, he had a huge amount of money donated to his, his, his retirement um, gifts, you know, kind of nearly a thousand pounds. Um, and over 150 people were coming from the shop floor of the factory to come and see him for his retirement speech. And all he needed to do really was to kind of say, thank you very much and say a few words about his career. And that scared him for days. So I would argue he was particularly courageous, despite the fact that he is my hero. But he thinks you and I are mad. Because, and by the way, he, he doesn't listen to the podcast particularly, unless I send him a clip. Bit of a <clears> relief, really. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Don't want him to realise, actually, we're just a fraud. Um, but he he does often think that it's mad. And as I was growing up, as you know, I wanted to get into radio. And this was kind of so alien to him. He thought we were mad. Or I was mad for wanting to do that. Why would you? Why would you do that to yourself? So I guess to, to counter your point, I think I think you've kind of hinted at it. We we, had, we we seem to have this genetic comfort of things we go towards and away from. And I think some things some of us would think others are mad for, but actually for them it's completely second nature. Um, you know, um, it's it's funny. Another example: uh, Sarah, who works for us at Seedle. Um, she's ex-military and she is petrified the first time she does a webinar for us, for our clients. Mm. And she often says, I'd rather be at the front line of Afghanistan at the minute than doing this. My idea mm. of going to Afghanistan over doing this, she's mad. <laughs> well, so um, the, the last time I was really scared was in my local pub. <laughs> really? And what? They didn't have a certain beers in stock, and you're about to get angry. Well, <laughs> well, fuck it, me! It you don't was... want to go near JB if his wrong drink's not in. He'll turn full Jeremy Clarkson on you. Let me set the scene. Okay. This pub uh, was full, absolutely packed, uh, because it was a music night. Right. And you could you could barely move. It was steaming in there, and then it was my turn. And the rest of the band got together. Um, so the drummer arrived, uh, the bass guitarist, um, and all the other characters in this band that we just created for this event. And I had just started to learn to play my banjo. And I also had a song to sing. I know this story now. You start to tell it. Carry on. And I... 
um, I know the song reasonably well because I wrote it and I then um, had to perform it in this pub. But I was absolutely shitting it because this is my local reputation. Um, you have one? And what what's more is the the band that I played with was a was a punk band. Um and this is where a banjo and a song about a necrophiliac um <laughs> with a punk band just gets a bit messy. Yeah. Uh, so potentially it was going to be an absolute disaster. Banjo and a punk band. I mean, that's an oxymoron yeah. in a sentence. Yeah, they liked the, they loved, the, but they loved it. So I had to wear my three-piece suit with a tie, um, play my banjo, and sing my song. And I, I'm not joking. The audience absolutely lapped it up. They loved it and they wanted more. Um, but my fear was huge. Um, but it did make me think I should do this more mm. so I could do this more. I need to practice this um, because I think I could get quite good at it. Um, now, then COVID arrived, so I haven't really had the much opportunity to get out there and do this, but it's a crazy little thing. Um, so this is where uh, I think it's quite fun to introduce Timothy Galway Yay. Uh, again. Come he, on. Might, he might be a listener to our podcast now. I hope so. So, um, so for the listeners' benefit, you'll know in previous episodes and in if you've ever met me in JB, JB does refer to his book, The Inner Game of Tennis. I tweeted at at Timothy Galway on Twitter without JB knowing, saying you should really listen to this podcast because JB is your biggest fan. He then has added me and JB on LinkedIn, so could be listening. Um, that said, um, I did invite him to surprise JB by coming on as a guest at some point. Oh, my God, don't do that. And he never replied. He, oh, he is one of my heroes. I, I have a sort of slight obsession, but there we are. Um, <laughs> Timothy Galway, uh, In a Game of Tennis, a wonderful book. And in it, there's, there's two... two uh, well, there is a concept with two elements. Um, and Self One is the kind of internalised voice of our parents... Uh, teachers and those in authority and you know first off people think oh my parents they were really great they're really really great but sometimes when you actually start thinking about it um, parents can be really quite damaging uh, even with the best will with the best intent uh, they can say things like well your brother's a math- mathematician you never be a mathematician oh um, I'd leave your public speaking to your dad I'm, I'm guilty of that unfortunately with my um, and it's a you know the, these can leave scars um in us for years I, I it's taken me about 40 years to recover from my education because i had some really really bad teachers um one or two really good ones mind you but mostly they were um bullying violent aggressive ghastly people but that's another story um and so self one we've got this internalized voice of all of these characters all of these people um and self one seeks to control the self two that we have um and, we, and it doesn't trust self two at all doesn't trust it to learn doesn't trust it to perform do anything um and if you can imagine if we characterize self one uh as tension and fear and doubt and trying too hard that's what your your, your internal self one is um, and I can relate to all of those things because I felt all of those things in my life, that tension, fear, doubt, and trying too hard. Um, self two, 
uh, is um, a different kettle of fish altogether. It's like, the, you know, the whole of you, the whole human being, uh, with all your uh, potential and all your capacities, all the things that you're capable of doing, um, including uh, this kind of hardwired um, capacity to learn. You know, that self too. We are designed to learn and to throw ourselves at things and to go, ow, that hurts. Um, oh, or that's that's really uh, nice. And But when we practice and we've banged our head against the wall enough, um, and, you know, swimming is a really good example um, because I, not, I'm not the greatest swimmer, but at least I can swim. Um, some people think it's actually me trying to avoid drowning. Um, and that's what it looks like, but it's I call it swimming. Uh, and when, but some people really focus on it and focus and focus and practice and practice, and then you get into this lovely state called relax, concentration, enjoyment, and trust in self, trusting self. So, what has this got to do with courage? I hear you say. Well, I think it comes down to this one thing. Um, and it is this desire to try stuff, um, this desire to be open to experience. That's what it is all about. So this idea of uh, open to experience comes from um, the big five personality traits, um, which... Um, measure human personality, temperature, tem temperament, and and psych. Um, and you know whether you kind of buy that or not. Um, I think it's in interesting uh, to dis really discover in yourself how just how open to experience you are, and whether you're supported by your team, uh, your wife, uh, your boss, uh, your colleagues. Uh, if your team bought into this statement, openness to experience can be developed and shaped with practice and support. And it may be more likely to act in a crisis. You may be more likely to act in a crisis if you are open to experience really interesting so the 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 connection here for me to the leadership podcast thinking is very much around actually what do we do as leaders that make sure that we are indeed taking those chances to be more courageous um because i know we've kind of danced around this with lots of metaphors and stories but as a leadership podcast Unfortunately, what I think tends to happen with leaders when we first get in our first managerial position is we typically have been promoted from within. And we've talked about this many times, but you get promoted from within based on your experience as an individual contributor. So you're actually put in leadership positions based on your competencies as an individual contributor, not necessarily those leadership or management or coaching competencies. And unfortunately, what tends to happen is we create this control over based on my knowledge of what my team now do. 
as opposed to taking courageous risks on experiencing the understanding of being a great leader. Um, and it was difficult for me, I have to say as well, when I first started, I was, my first job was, was managing salespeople. Um, and, um, I struggled hugely and relied upon my expertise as an individual contributor to command authority, but not realizing authority wasn't the right thing to do. And actually, I think you're right, JB, as a, as a people leader, the biggest challenge you have as a leader is to be courageous in experiencing new competencies to develop your leadership skills, as opposed to rely upon what you've known historically to be your your strength. And that is also links in nicely, I guess, to the fixed dynamic mindset, which you and I speak of so frequently. Mm. Um, you know, how open are we to criticism? Because often if our boss, you know, as a new manager boss comes in saying, how are the numbers? Yeah, good. What are you doing to motivate the team? Well, I'm telling them they need to do these things for their numbers um, without realising that maybe that's the complete wrong thing to do. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I think um, for me, where this subject is going from a lens of a leader is how courageous are you as a leader to experience new things, to improve your skills as a leader, to support your people best. Your knowledge should only represent 20% of your leadership capability pack, if you will. It's all the communication styles, management styles, um, coaching and one-to-one -one styles that are the things that we are yet to perhaps experience as a people leader that we need to do. And in fact, the workshop me and JB have been doing over the last six or seven days with one of our clients has really tested their leadership courage. Because we're telling them, you know what, telling people what to do and keeping it all business focused is not the right thing. You really need to build stories into your communication to bring those presentations to life. And those leaders, the majority of them were absolutely petrified. And those were some of the words that were put in writing to me and JB before and after the program was delivered about doing it. But now they've done it, they realize, actually, I loved it. But it was only after I had a go that I realized I loved it. And actually, actually, this is a major enhancement. And it took that courage to become more resilient. And the more times we can do these things to put ourselves at risk of being vulnerable, the more strong I think we become. And I wonder now whether people, I think the more work we've done with this particular client, JB, correct me if I'm wrong, the more people are asking for, actually, do you know what? Put me outside my comfort zone again. I, I yeah. Weirdly, actually, I quite like it. But I didn't realize I liked it until two times now you've worked with us and both times you've really I've hated the idea of what you're about to ask me to do but after I've done it I feel so satisfied and I think that it, it, it's almost this this blocker the 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 the, the self one as you say mm -mm. That, that's making leaders not take the risks and most of your direct reports if you've got the trust level with them they're forgiving they're not going to hold it to you in the future to say ah oh, do you remember when they did that speech it was awful you know there might be one or two petty ones but they're not people you'd want to hire again anyway anyway that, that's my take so i think there's a for me the the courageous leader um grows courageous leaders you know the, i i i think to be courageous <clears throat> as a leader i think one of the first things that you can do is to support your people being courageous and that means 
that you've probably got a whole load of explosions going on around you. Um, hopefully most of those will be some sort of controlled explosion as people, um, you know, throw themselves at different situations. Like, you know, the finance director, it's his turn or her turn to tell the story this time when they're shit scared of telling stories mm. and you're creating the environment where it's okay for them to, to fail. It's okay for them to, to cock it up um, and actually to create the, the conditions and the culture where people will say that was so brilliant uh, because the effort was extraordinary um, and there's merit in them doing it and doing it again because it was that, you know, it was good. It was human uh, to see that effort. I think self one and self two is a really good uh, way of, of having a look at uh, courage. Um, let's go back to uh, self one, self two for a second and look at it um, slightly differently. And that is that self one tries to instruct self two using words. Yeah. And we know a lot of managers who um, kind of fall into that self-one trap um, and they've got that going on in their own minds. They're, they're instructing their own self-twos using words. But self-two, this is important, self-two responds best to images and internalising the physical experience of carrying out an action, a desired action. So it's like a rehearsal in their mind, visualization of uh, what might happen if they do this thing, and then to go and do it, and then to, to, to store that memory of what just happened. And, and ideally, being able to report to a coach or mentor uh, or somebody this is how I felt, this is what I saw, this is what emerged out of this. So um, if we let, let ourselves uh, lose touch with our ability to feel our actions um, by relying too heavily on instruction, i.e. we become instruction takers, we can seriously compromise our access to our natural learning uh, processes and our potential to perform. Hmm. Where do we go from here then, JB? Well, so I, I think that's the context, right? So um, I I think if you... Here's a... I'm going to see... <coughs> Oof. Pardon. I didn't get to the mute button in Yeah, time. I was going to say, that was a fast emerging one, wasn't it? Whoa. God, yeah, you're a bit um, nasally. I think we're both a bit lazy. There's stuff in the air. Uh, um, I don't normally struggle with hay fever, um, but mm. my friends that do have hay fever said it's the worst they've ever been and they've, their eyes are streaming really? all the time. My sister-in-law is streaming all the time and we've got a massive woodland over the side and a couple of days ago you could see the wind blowing the trees and you could see clouds of pollen. Wow, coming your way. Yeah, and I think that's why I'm all bunged up. I think it is, I think we've just all got a bad season this year and as we've had clean air <laughs> in our own homes because we've not been circulating much, maybe we're all being impacted by hay fever on the side of COVID. 
Well, I've had I've had two COVID jabs now. I've gone most peculiar. How is, that, how is that satellite tracker that's now been installed in you? Is it well? Right? I, yeah, I think it's beaming up really well. Um, but I, I definitely, my muscles have gone very weird, and my brain's gone even weirder. Isn't that dancey um, writhing on the floor with your wife and the kickboard? It could could well be. <laughs> um, but I, you know, we used to have a, we used to create a little jingle called. Let's get practical. Yeah, hold on, I still got the sound. Or something here. along those lines, soundboard. and I, and I'm, I think we ought to attempt to try. Hold on, um, um, wasn't it this and, one? And be oh, ouch! That's and loud. be courageous uh, in getting practical. There you go. Let's get there practical. That's, that's let's get practical. Um. Anyway, so and bear with. Okay. Um learning through practice right uh we know that if you and i went into a gym and worked out for six months we would come out of there absolutely stacked and we'd have every every woman from here to and 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 blokes probably as well from here to aberdeen and back uh chasing us around car parks that fair to say very yeah anyway so um through training and practice we can develop our muscle groups and right. we could be very deliberate um for example you could focus on your six pack uh i could focus mm. on my pecs uh we could really have a good old go okay now um, i had a plank this morning by the way okay um working on my six pack yes yeah. good mm. um i said a plank Yes, you could show us the um, evidence at some point. Uh, so, what habits uh, do we need to form for building courage? What habits do we need to form to build courage? Bearing in mind what I just said about self one, self two, and images being more useful for self too than in words of instruction if you um take habit i'm going to do these as as practically as i can so habit number one Ooh, do we need a sound effect yeah the habit of creating scenarios Imagine both the worst that could happen if a certain direction is taken and what the outcome would be if no action was taken at all. So really visualising. I, I can think of many things um, that I want to do where I'm a bit scared still. Um, so by identifying the risks being taken, people can build immunity to their fears immunity to their fears so we can develop courage we can but we have to view our actions as new habits habit number two sorry mr the habit of recognizing the negativity bias you know um a lot of people well some people um a, a little bit more negative uh rather than viewing positive outcomes mm -hmm. they they will knock it 
uh, into the ground before you can actually get a positive outcome uh, in the audience or in, in the room. I can think of one person that we have worked with together in the past mm-hmm. where it's like, oh, my God, really? Um, so um, in that case, it's spending as much time considering the, the positive pictures, the positive scenarios as the negative ones and and really forcing self to do that you know looking at positive outcome and the negative outcome um when when we're looking at those negative scenarios um we 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 can reframe aim to reframe um what may appear to be a dangerous situation into something more of a positive self to learning experience we're going down the self to route if i'm in self to what am I going to do with this? If I'm in self one, what am I going to do with this? Mm-hmm. And that's a process. That's a process of learning. Habit number three. <laughs> Sorry. Um, people who are afraid to act um, or learn often have little or no confidence in themselves. Interesting. Um, And this confidence in themselves manifests in things like procrastination and the one that you and I um, have talked about before on our podcasts is this imposter syndrome thing. Yeah. So, you know, dealing with these things, being conscious, aware, um, is really uh, important for us to open up uh, about that self-doubt and expose that vulnerability to our team. And when I say team, I mean team Ant or team JB. Yeah. That might include wife, um, really good friend, uh, work colleague, boss, whatever. Yeah. Um, the, and I know from my own past experience that can be very empowering. Uh, just to open up about that doubt I'm having, Mm -hmm. whatever it might be, Um, and to identify what we're truly afraid of. Um, We can can absolutely train our brain uh, to reduce our fear of that um, situation and will give us the courage to act. Habit number four. Oh, 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 bloody hell. How many are there? 200. Oh, God. Lovely. Um, so this one is leaving our comfort zone. Just going, right, I am opening the door and I'm walking out of my comfort zone and I'm now closing it. And this involves consciously and consistently practising small acts of courage in our work situation in maybe other situations. It might be backing someone who might have an unpopular view, but you're going to back them to have the right to say it in that meeting where they haven't before. Just little things can have a cumulative effect. Speaking up when you know something isn't right. Um, Taking a stand for seemingly little things um, can make a huge difference in just building up this 
capacity and this tolerance uh, to fear um, and, and little courageous steps, um, making truly difficult and courageous decisions something of a, a, of a normality in your organisation, in your team, in yourself. Habit number five. Just seeing, so you know, I've got a hard stop in four minutes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the, the, we don't really need to worry about this, Ant, because it's um, the habit of managing our bodies. Um, <laughs> right. And um, mm, I so myself very well. So. If, I mean, fear is 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 physically draining, isn't it? Mm -hmm. You know, when we're fearful, it, it drains our our mental state. So um, we need to to really focus on eating well, sleeping well, and exercise. Yeah, agreed. Um, so none of which probably I, I do at the minute. <clears throat> well, you see, this is the thing. We've got to. I really focus on sleeping. Um, and uh, I, I, my wife forces me to eat well, which is great. Um, and I'm getting back into my walking now uh, after having a little funny wobbly patch over the winter period. Mm. I'm coming back into the game. Right, one more, Ant, and then I, I, I reckon that we've, we've got as practical, we've pushed practicality as far as we can go. Okay. And this is habit number six. Lovely. Didn't realise it was that long, sorry. This is this is the final thing, really, is just recognising you're not alone. You know, there's lots of other people like you. Um, and you want to build a team around you. Um, so, uh, you know, they are a valuable, hugely valuable resource. And don't underestimate that. Uh, people that you can share your, share your shit with, given that last sound effect. Because um, fear, believe it or not can be a little bit addictive. Um, and the more we're able to face our fears, uh, the more we replace fear-based responses with courageous ones. There we are. Wasn't that exciting? Very. I felt you are courageous in delivering that with such courage. Well, thank you. And um, I, I, so I thought we should end with that little bit of practical uh, learning um, and things that you and I can adopt. Are any of those standing out for you, Ant, that you're going to think, as a result of that, I'm going to go and do something slightly differently, or is that too optimistic on my part? <laughs> How rude. No, um, <laughs> I would 100% say that the being more aware of what I eat and sleep um, and my body being my temple is something that I don't take serious enough and should do. It's hard to imagine looking at you. Well, yes. Um Okay, right. So I'm conscious that you've got to fly off in a minute. Yes. And and face whatever you're going to face with great courage and conviction. Yeah, that is exactly what I'm going to do. Although it's not particularly courageous, I've just got a meeting with a client. So um, can I just so so Ant, hmm. um, tell the listener of one courageous thing that you'd really really want to get your head round and do. Um how to tell my partner in crime and my leadership podcast that I've secretly fallen in up. love with him. <laughs> um, no, um, I, I wish I had more time to answer it, so I will give a, 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 an honest answer well, in next week's episode. So, so let us both return to the podcast next week okay. 
with something that it might be a small little courageous thing that we're going to do or possibly a big thing okay but as a result of this podcast ant and i uh if you're up for it ant mm. we'll come back at the next podcast and tell you about something courageous we're both going to do like the idea like that one a lot okay. you and me are together in half an hour aren't we Oh my God, will you not leave me alone? I know, and I've now got a meeting between now and then. So, uh, ladies and gents, um, you know, what a bombshell. I've been Anthony Price. And I've been Jonathan Bradley. We're going like the wind. Goodbye! Bye!